Greetings, and welcome to another episode of Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things reader's advisory, collection development, and reference right in your little ears. I'm your host, Susan McGuire, here to guide you on our journey through all things bookish and library land. It's the most wonderful time of the year, by which I mean, of course, Editor's Choice is here. It's here, Editor's Choice. We're doing things a little differently this year. We're announcing our Editor's Choice and top-of-the-list picks in our December issue instead of in January, along with all of the year's starred reviews. It's practically a shopping list full of the best books of the year, as determined by your friends at Booklist. Who are those friends at Booklist, you may be wondering? Why, it's our wonderful editors, each of whom has recorded a quick note talking about some standouts from the Editor's Choice list. You'll hear from Donna Seaman, Sarah Hunter, Heather Booth, Ronnie Curry, Annie Bostrom, Maggie Reagan, Julia Smith, and me. You'll hear about fiction and nonfiction, audio for youth and adults, and one graphic novel made it to three editors' lists. We really love that one. We talk about a lot of books, Natch, but don't worry, they'll all be listed in the show notes on booklistonline.com slash shelf hyphen care. On to the editor's choice. Hello, book lovers. I'm Donna Seaman, editor for Adult Books at Booklist, here to celebrate our top of the list titles, our annual best of the best selected from this year's Booklist Editor's Choice. I'll also have a few things to say about some personal favorites. First up, our top of the list fiction winner. The Swimmers by Julie Otsuka, a writer whose exquisite work has enthralled me ever since her first novel, When the Emperor Was Divine, appeared 20 years ago. The Swimmers, published by Knopf, begins with an underground swimming pool frequented by the swimmers. They've established comfortable routines until a crack appears in the pool floor and changes everything. We chose Africa is Not a Country, Notes on a Bright Continent, by Depo Fuloyan, published by W.W. W. Norton as our top-of-the-list nonfiction title of the year, for the author's clarifying insights and incisive wit as he explores the origin of Africa's 54 countries, restoring erased histories, and chronicling a dynamic present seeding a bright future. The top graphic novel for adults is Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands, written by Kate Beaton. She also created the art. Ducks is published by Drawn and Quarterly. Beaton's intensely detailed and candid graphic memoir combines sharp humor with powerfully expressed feelings as it illuminates sexism and sexual violence, economic struggles, and the massive environmental destruction wrought by the fossil fuel industry. I hope you've all been reading and sharing Bookless Reader. Up to now, Bookless Reader has been a digital hit. Beginning in January, it will be available in print in bulk subscriptions, so you can give your patrons free print copies. And in that January issue, this is why I bring it up, you will find read-alikes for each of the top of the list titles I just named. Okay, what were my favorites of 2022? Oh, I really wince when I have to do this. I can't whittle down the list of books that thrilled, enchanted, and provoked me, but Tis the best of season, so I will comply. I will start by noting that 2022 was a great year for arts biographies. I love biographies. I was riveted by Neil Baldwin's Martha Graham when dance became modern from Knopf. Baldwin mined a massive amount of archival treasures to construct this richly illustrated biography of the modern dance revolutionary and icon Martha Graham. 
It's not easy to capture the complexity of dance with words, but Baldwin succeeds. Another invaluable arts biography, Saxophone Colossus, The Life and Music of Sonny Rollins by Aidan Levy from Hachette. Levy goes all out in documenting every phase of Rollins' long, spiritual, socially conscious, and artistically magnificent life as a saxophonist of, yes, colossal talent, a composer and an improviser, a transcendent virtuoso. This is a landmark title. On to fiction? Yes. Okay. As a David Copperfield fan from childhood, honestly, I was awed by Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead, published by Harper. It's an audacious and brilliant improvisation on Dickens' classic. It is set in present-day Virginia, and oh, the trials and tribulations. I could go on, but listen, this is an Oprah book club pick, so I rest my case. I will call out Liberation Day by George Saunders from Random House, a collection of boldly imagined, caustically funny, mischievously romantic, and profoundly compassionate short stories about the fragility of freedom. But hey, you all know all about Saunders, so let me also praise another book of short stories, the first book by Kate Folk, titled Out There, and Is It Ever? Published by Random House, these are spectacularly mind-bending stories that ingeniously pair everyday challenges with outlandish predicaments. They range from hilarious to terrifying. And finally, don't miss How to Read Now by Elaine Castillo from Viking. This is a set of arresting and rigorous essays, not only about how we read books, but how we read the world. Castillo exposes how we are, and I quote, over-educated in white supremacy, in patriarchy, in heteronormativity. From reading Jane Austen and Joan Didion to today's book challenges, Castillo's investigations are incisive, reorienting, sometimes funny, and altogether revolutionary. I could go on, but my time is up. For more Best of the Best, Watch for information about the Carnegie Medal winners at the Books and Media Award event during LibLearnX in January. Stay well and read in peace. Hi, Susan. This is Sarah Hunter, editor of the Books for Youth and Graphic Novel sections at Booklist. Um, also, my cat is here. You might hear her purring. I'm here to tell you about my favorite editor's choice books from 2022. I'll start with my favorites from the Books for Youth list. I loved a picture book called Farmhouse, written and illustrated by Sophie Blackall and published by Little Brown. It's about a house that Sophie found on some property that she bought, and she imagines a family that lived there, and she imagines the family leaving the house and the house sort of falling to ruin and nature coming to take up residence in the walls. And my favorite thing about this book is the artwork. She does this really amazing job of incorporating small little pieces and artifacts from the actual house into the artwork. It almost has the quality of like a dollhouse or a diorama with little pieces of wallpaper and shreds of fabric and all of these layers built in both to create the actual picture that you're looking at in the book, but also as sort of a, a a representation of like the layers and pieces of history that make up stories in history. Really, really beautiful, really smart and clever and disarming. I really, really loved that one. 
Uh, the next one is called Maya's Song by Renee Watson with artwork by Brian Collier, published by Harper. And this is a biography and verse of Maya Angelou. And Renee Watson did such a wonderful job of crafting these lovely poems that hit at key moments in the life of the poet. But it's really the combination of her poems with Brian Collier's illustrations that really make the images super resonant. There's something about the combination of the two that makes it much greater than the sum of its parts. His artwork is really expressive and uh, imagistic in a way that you don't usually see in a picture book biography. And he uses visual metaphor to touch on some of the more difficult parts of Maya Angelou's life in a way that I thought was really smart and very well done. And I am obsessed with this next YA book I'm going to talk about, which is Our Crooked Hearts by Melissa Albert. That was published by Flatiron. It is a super witchy, dark story, and it is such a Chicago book. They never mention that they're in Chicago, but it was just like tugging on all of my nostalgia for some of the old neighborhood hangouts that I had when I first moved here and just like the landscape and the the feeling of some of these neighborhoods in Chicago. Um, but at the same time, it's a really beautiful, hard moving story about um, mothers and daughters and witchcraft and memory and power. And I just loved the writing and I loved the story. And it was one of those books that I really, really couldn't put down. I don't get those very often anymore, but that was one of the ones that I just was like, it, it was impossible to take it out of my hands. Um, now I'll tell you about some graphic novels that I loved. And the first one I'm going to talk about is our top of the list pick, which is My Aunt is a Monster, which is written and drawn by Ramina Yi. And that was published by Random House Graphic. This is just such a wild and wackadoo story that has like the perfect combination for me of heart and just like madcap whimsy. It's about a girl who loses her parents and she has to move in with her aunt and her aunt has been disfigured in her many adventures and looks like a like a dragon. The girl is blind and can't see what her aunt looks like, but she just knows that her aunt is a very caring and understanding woman who has lived a life of adventure and has nothing but love for her. And they decide to go on another adventure. And this this the plot is really difficult to describe because it takes so many twists and turns and just when you think <laughs> they're one of those plots is going to resolve, it just like twists deeper into something new. And I loved that about it. And then the other fantastic part about this book is Yi's artwork, which is such like a classic mid-century golden book illustration style. It looks like he, she pulled it right out of the 60s really saturated color, like very exaggerated figures. Everybody has like a really expressive body language still, even though they are really stylized. Like the artwork is just amazing. I just love looking at it. Another one with amazing artwork uh, that I really like this year is Squire by Nadia Shamas and Sarah Alfaji. That one was published by HarperCollins Quiltree. And that's about a girl who's from an outcast cast in society, C-A-S-T. And she 
decides that the best way for her to have any kind of power in her life is to join the military effectively. So she goes to this intense training program and she is just desperate to become a squire so that she can receive full citizenship and be able to help her family. Um, so she endures all sorts of sort of subtle racism. She's concealing her true identity. So people don't know that she's from this class of people. But in the process of bonding with the other people in this training program, she discovers some like unsettling secrets about her kingdom and the program that she's in and the the purpose of the military and the leader of the academy. This book has just such sumptuous artwork, the landscapes, the structures that Alfaji pulled out are just so incredible. And you get such an intense sense of place from this book that I found really delightful to just like immerse myself in. And finally, my like, number one favorite book of the last year, which I looked up, I, I told you about this in March of this last year, because I was so excited about it already, before I even finished it. And it has like, stood the test of the year for me at being like the absolute top of the pile. And that is Ducks Two Years in the Oil Sands by Kate Beaton and published by John and Quarterly. I love this book. It's the top of the list pick for adult graphic novel this year. I am an unabashed Kate Beaton fan. And this is like nothing she's ever done before. But it's still so distinctly her at the same time, which I just really loved. I always think that comedy is actually really, really hard. And she really gets at, I think, in this book, which is about her experiences um, working in the natural gas and oil industry in Canada, what makes comedy hard. She endures so many difficult things there. She sees so many difficult things there, but she still connects with the people around her with good humor and making genuine connections and like learning how to protect herself. And it's just so fantastic. I think I'm going to buy it for like every single person in my family. Everybody's going to get the same book this year and it's going to be ducks. And then maybe we can have like a family book group. Okay, I think that's probably enough for me. I was only supposed to talk to you for five minutes and I talked to you for eight. Sorry. Bye. Hello, this is Heather Booth. I'm Booklist's audio editor and I'm here with the audio editor's choice picks for 2020. Let's start with the top of the list titles. So these two really left an impression on me and I'm still thinking about them months after listening to them. First, for adults, we have Macmillan Audio's Listening Still, which is by Anne Griffin and read by Nicola Coughlin, who you may know as Claire from Dairy Girls or Penelope Featherington from Bridgerton. This is the story of a woman who works at her family's funeral home and is at a turning point in her life. Plus, it has a really wonderful thread of magical realism. It's set in a small Irish town. It's full of memorable characters, and it's just, it's just really deep with emotion. Coughlin's narration connects so deeply with the characters that every moment felt truly genuine. If you've seen her screen work, some of the characters will feel reminiscent of some of her co-stars, but others are wholly her own creation. Her consistency narrating multiple character voices across the length of the book is also particularly notable. I love how this narration is so emotionally driven. There's no heavy action, the supernatural elements are understated, the drama is quiet and personal, and in this thoughtful, introspective story, it's Coughlin's Irish accent and intimate understanding of the setting, its people, and their internal workings that truly elevates the audio. 
On the youth side, we have another quiet title with a big impact. Published by Tundra, Journal of a Traveling Girl is set in Canada's Northwest Territory in 2005 and is the fictional story of an 11-year-old named Julia who travels by canoe with a group of her Chilco community members to the signing of the Chilco Agreement of 2005 that marked the Chilco people's right to self-government. The author, Nadine Nima, reads the book herself, and it was so striking to me that this narration feels incredibly personal and intimate. Unlike a professional voice actor, Nima takes a tone much more like the way we read to children in our own lives or tell stories to our own families. I envision this personal connection really connecting with young listeners who are learning about a pivotal but lesser-known element of recent Indigenous history. Something else that sets this narration apart is the beautiful and judicious use of a soundscape. While it's not a full cast recording, it is bolstered by the voices and sounds that Julia hears on her canoe trip. This subtle but significant addition creates an immersive listening experience that really resonates with the listener. These list toppers are only two of a number of laudable audio from 2022. Back on the adult side, be sure to check out two audio original titles. You can only listen to these. There's no print version. The Babysitter Lives, another horror novel from Stephen Graham Jones, narrated by Isabel Starr LeBlanc, and Inside Voice, My Obsession with How We Sound by Lake Bell. They both do what audio does so well, but in very different ways. Where LeBlanc's narration draws us back into the creepy campfire tales and the origins of the horror genre, Bell's deep dive into the human voice incorporates interviews and audio examples to make its point in a way that only audio could illuminate. Genre fiction and full cast shine bright again this year. For romance fans, check out Thank You for Listening by audiobook narrator Julia Whalen. She narrates, of course, and does a bang-up job with, as usual with her character voices and accents. It's a real delight. If your tastes trend more towards sci-fi and Afrofuturism, you must check out Janelle Monet's The Memory Librarian. Monet, the actor and musician, narrates with Bonnie Turpin. The two take turns narrating stories that comprise the dark future, with Turpin bringing her usual intuitiveness to the narration and Monet displaying their expertise in both acting and writing while they narrate with depth and extra insight. If mysteries are more your style, then Marple is for you. This collection of stories each sees Agatha Christie's Miss Marple in different scenarios, and each is narrated by a different voice. It's so much fun to see this classic character stretching her wings and to hear a wide range of interpretations of the sleuth through each narration. One last fiction title I don't want to mention was a personal favorite of the year, Love and Saffron. It's a brief epistolary novel set in the 1960s, focusing on the friendship that develops between two food writers from different generations. If this time of year stresses you out, this sweet novel of women's friendship and the power of food to forge new connections will be a balm. Listen while grocery shopping and marvel at the bounty that we take for granted that was new and novel or even unheard of for many American shoppers not so long ago. If nonfiction about food is more to your taste, listen to Michael W. Twitty's Kosher Soul. This is part two in his planned trio of memoirs delving into culinary cultural history. Our reviewer called his voice sobering, powerful, and indispensable. For a true crime pick on audio, my vote is for Tell Me Everything by Erica Krauss, read by Gabra Zachman. Zachman has narrated true crime before, possibly most famously with Michelle McNamara's posthumous I'll Be Gone in the Dark, one woman's obsessive search for the Golden State Killer. She brings the same grit, gravitas, and sensitivity to Krauss's book, which is part survivor memoir and part investigative journalism. 
It's a standout in the field for its empathetic focus on structural inequities and survivors. On the youth side, let's start with a narration by Eduardo Ballerini, the voice of God. No, for real, he narrated the Bible. He's always a reliably satisfying narrator, and this year he takes on Christian, a teen trapped in Ceausescu's regime in Ruta Sepetis's I Will Betray You from Listening Library. For another look at teens in times of revolution, listen to Coming Up Cuban by Sesame Street's Sonia Manzano. This full-cast narration from Scholastic shows different teens reacting to the time around the 1959 Cuban Revolution in many different ways, reminding us that within any historical event, there are many perspectives that are impacted in their own unique ways. Two more full-cast narrations will finish out our look at this year's audio editor's choice, and they are both graphic novels. The longtime favorite graphic novel series for kids, Hilo, finally comes to audio in a fully produced blockbuster. From the first moments, listeners will know they're in for an adventure, thanks to tense dramatic music and lots of vocal exclamations. Zippy-zoomy sound effects are sure to keep the attention of young listeners and even further augment their enjoyment of the print books. This one's by Listening Library. And for older kids who love graphic novels, Leah Bardugo's Demon in the Wood from Macmillan brings a similarly satisfying cinematic interpretation to the graphic novel entry into the Grishaverse, from wishing wind to horse's hooves to a number of bold and curious characters, listeners will hear every element from the page. Be sure to check out the full list in our December issue, and then find listen-alikes for our top-of-the-list audio titles in the January issue of the Booklist Reader. I hope this year has brought you many hours of audiobook happiness, and I'm eager to hear what new audio marvels we have in store for us in 2023. Until then, happy listening. Hey everybody, this is senior editor Ronnie Curry coming in hot to talk to you about a couple of the best picture books from 2022. And the first one I want to talk about is called A is for B. It is from Levine Quirito. The author and illustrator is Ellen Heck. And this is an alphabet book in translation. And this actually ended up being our top of the list picture book, which is very unusual for an alphabet book. Um, but we had never seen anything like it, and I think you'll see why. So I will read the first page, actually, because it'll give you the picture. It says, We speak to each other in many languages, and in some of them, and then it goes into the alphabet format. So in some of them, A is for B, and then B is for monkey, C is for parrot, uh, J is for ostrich. And, and so what it's doing is, on each page... It's got the animal, which is kind of an expected trope of, of the alphabet book, and a beautiful illustration. But, so for A is for B, it's got, it lists several words in non-English languages in which the word for B does start with an A, or the word for monkey does start with a B. So on the first page, you've got Turkish and Ojibwe and Portuguese and Igbo. And so it's doing the alphabet book thing but at the same time, it's decentering English and Western culture in a lot of ways, and just giving this global perspective and this multicultural perspective that will expand a young reader's mind in a way that, again, I've never seen done before. The illustrations are amazing. The concept is unbelievable. It's just a beautiful execution of a really creative book. I highly recommend it. The other book that I want to talk about is more of a typical storybook. 
It's called Mama and Mommy and Me in the Middle. It comes from Candlewick Press. The author is Nina LaCour. The illustrator is Keilani Juanita, who had a couple of books on our list this year. So it's a story about a kid who has two moms, and one of them, Mommy, goes on a work trip for the whole week. And so essentially it goes day by day, talking and showing how the kid is missing Mommy, and how they get through the week. And the end has a really interesting resolution in that mommy comes home and they're so happy to see her, but the kid has this moment of doubt where they don't want to hug mommy. They, they actually, instead of this very tidy ending, they reflect on like the week of, of sorrow and longing and they and they voice that feeling, which is very true, but you don't see very often in picture books. And I had a really cool experience with this book in that I got to read it with my five-year-old which is not something we often get to do as professionals evaluating books for five-year-olds. And it really gave me a different perspective on the book and its power because it gave him a way to discuss these concepts in a way he had never done before. And it completely opened him up to sharing his emotions and it gave him this kind of structure for that conversation. So really powerful book for kids. The illustrations are just unbelievable a lot of detail and bright color and just a really beautiful book that I think um, pretty much every kid will be able to relate to. So those are the, those are my best of the year. I hope you'll take a look at them. Thanks. Hi, Susan. It's your mother. Just kidding. It's your colleague, Annie, making the same joke for the third year in a row, I believe, because it's so funny. Uh, It was easy for me to choose a book from our 2022 Editor's Choice list to talk about this year. My personal favorite book this year was Stay True by Hua Su from Doubleday. The hook, or the quickest way to describe this book, is that the author lost a friend suddenly to a senseless act of violence when they were students at Berkeley in the 90s. Just a horrible, bad luck, wrong place at the wrong time situation. But the book tells much more than that one story, even as you can understand why it's the thread that the author keeps coming back to and how so much became wrapped up in it. I wanted to pick this book up again and again, which became difficult when I moved a month ago. I swear I've unpacked every box of books except the one that this book is in. So this is Wasu's story of losing Ken, but it's also his own coming of age and coming of art story. He writes for The New Yorker now, and he teaches writing. So the subtext of every sentence is the art we know he will find as we see him making zines in his college apartment. The moments of this book that really have stuck with me, really astonished me as I was reading, are his descriptions of the self-consciousness he felt as a early adult, young, uh, late teenager, just jaw-dropping recognition put to words. Those things that matter most, all the things propping up this person you're trying to build, especially the art that moves you, particularly music. And he and Ken weren't friends at first. And in fact, he kind of really didn't like Ken. And I think we can all remember those peers who just rubbed us the wrong way when we were young and trying to prove something especially when they were maybe a little like us in some ways and not in other ways that seemed crucial. Here's a great passage. In those days, I fixated on the lamest things people did. I didn't trust anyone who tucked their shirts in. When Ken tried to get me to listen to classic rock or worse yet, Pearl Jam, I recoiled in disgust as though he were presenting a virus. 
And that gives you an idea of this humor that he finds in viewing himself, not with judgment though. It's just, it's just such a true, I mean, the, the title couldn't be more perfect. It's such a true portrayal. The other subtext of every sentence in the book too is that we know they become best friends, uh, which adds to that warmth. There's a paragraph uh, where he talks about smoking, which is something he and Ken eventually did together and all the different ways there are to hold a cigarette. Anyway, loved it, but you know, don't smoke, kids. So that's Stay True by Wasu, an incredibly beautiful, brilliant, moving, unforgettable book. I'd also like to give a shout out to my cat who just tried to ruin this recording, but also our top of the list graphic novel, Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands by Kate Beaton, which is another unforgettable coming of age story and portrait of a time and place. So Beaton, who is well known for her uh, comics like Hark a Vagrant and other web comics as well as some children's books. She worked in the oil industry in Alberta, Canada for two years after college in order to make a lot of money and pay down her iceberg of student debt. And it's really, it's a survival story. How will she survive this constant suffocating attention that even becomes abuse and assault as one of the few women working in this place? But also, of course, how will any of us survive our dependence on fossil fuels? And most of us will do that by never getting as up close as she got. So it's another instance of the book you're holding, making it so clear that the author will escape this harrowing situation, but you're just wrapped to find out how. So that's it for me. I hope you enjoyed my voicemail. Call your mother. Love you. Hi, I'm Maggie Reagan. I'm one of the senior editors in the Books for Youth department. Well, one of my absolutely favorite books of the year was also everyone else's favorite book of the year. Uh, it was our top of the list fiction pick in youth, and it just won the National Book Award for Young People's Literature. Um, but more importantly, I liked it. So if you haven't guessed yet, it's Saba Tahir's All My Rage. Uh, and the short version is that it's about two former friends who are going through huge traumatic upheavals in their separate lives and are finding their way back to each other through them. Um, it's a really devastating book, but it also manages to be such a bomb. And I highly recommend it to pretty much everyone. Another book out here that has really stuck with me over the course of this year was Riley Redgate's Alone Out Here. And generally speaking, I just really love Riley's books. Although readers of her last few might be surprised by the genre and the tone of this one. Although I also think you could argue that this is where she's been heading all along. But that is a TED Talk for another time. This is another one that manages to be both bleak and hopeful. It is sort of science fiction, sort of like speculative fiction. But it's set in 2072, I think. So... I'm trying to do the math in my head. I guess that's about 50 years in the future. <laughs> that's a really easy math that I can't do. But it's about what happened uh, when the expected end of the world comes early and the only people to escape the planet in time are the 53 kids of the world's diplomats who were touring a spaceship that's a prototype for a fleet that was supposed to save thousands of people. So they're the only 53 people left alive from the entire planet and they're just alone in space with no plan. So for a lot of reasons, I have not been able to get this book out from under my skin ever since I read it. It's timely and insightful and it really goes for the throat, but it's also really compassionate towards his characters too, which is something that I find that Riley does a lot. 
Then I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the number of queer contemporary books and romances we considered for our list this year. There were so many good ones. Um, I had such a good time reading them all. And it was so hard to make a list that wasn't just made entirely out of them because they featured such a wealth of characters. They told so many different stories. There's seriously so many good ones. So please look at the list for more. But Adib Karam's Kiss and Tell, I think, is completely unmissable. Uh, so thanks. Those are mine. Susan McGuire here, Senior Editor for Collection Management and Library Outreach, reporting from the Adult Books section. One of my faves from this year's list is By Her Own Design by Piper Hughley, which came out in June from Morrow. It chronicles the life of Anne Lowe, who went from a seamstress in Jim Crow-era Alabama to an in-demand designer for the Social Register from the 1920s through the 1960s. It doesn't shy away from the hardships and racism she faced, from a terrible marriage way too young, to attending design school and segregated isolation. She literally sat in a closet to listen to the lectures. But it also spends a lot of time on Anne's design philosophy and her work, especially the fabric flowers she was known for, and an especially nail-biting sequence where the wedding dress for none other than Jacqueline Bouvier is ruined and has to be recreated in a matter of days. It's an emotional page-turner for historical fiction fans and would make a great book club pick. And my mom really liked it, too. So, there's that. Another book I really liked, and that's an understatement. This was probably my favorite book I reviewed this year, is Lark Ascending by Silas House, which came out in September from Algonquin. Oh my gosh, this book. It's set in the near future where climate disasters and religious fundamentalism have made the U.S. uninhabitable for Lark, who's gay, and basically for everyone. He's the sole survivor of a harrowing boat journey to Ireland, where he's hoping to make it to Glendalough, which his mother described as a thin place and which becomes sort of a beacon for him. The writing is lyrical, the danger is palpable, and the story features one of the best dogs in literature. His name is Seamus! It's a post-apocalyptic story that is rooted in hardship and hope, and it's beautiful, and I cried. This is another one that would be a good fit for book groups. Moving from an imagined near future to an alternate past, how's that for a bold transition? The next book I want to shout out is Babel, or The Necessity of Violence, An Arcane History of the Oxford Translator's Revolution, by R.F. Kuang, which came out in August from Harper Voyager. It's about a young Chinese orphan who's brought to Oxford's Royal Institute of Translation, which, in addition to being a sort of educational tower of Babel, is also the storage vault for the largest supply of magically enhanced silver in the world. It's an expansive fantasy world rooted in Victorian-era England that scrutinizes linguistics, history, and the politics of colonization, and it's a wild ride as well. Finally, I want to shout out Rest is Resistance, a manifesto by Trisha Hersey, which came out from Little Brown Spark in October. Activist, author, and performance artist Hersey is known as the Knapp Bishop, and she emphasizes the importance of rest to racial and social justice work, especially for Black women. This book is fascinating, it's challenging, and readers will be amazed at Hersey's thinking as she delves into both her family history and Black American history at large to uncover the legacy of exhaustion. Far from a simple call to resist grind culture, though it is also that, Hersey rejects its capitalist roots and explains why rest is radical. 
And those are my picks from this year's Editor's Choice. Enjoy! Hi there, this is Julia Smith on the youth editorial team. I'm chiming in to talk a little bit about Editor's Choice this past year. And we had so many good books to choose from as per usual. It was really difficult to narrow down everything. But I just wanted to give a little shout out because it was a fantastic year for horror. I was very delighted. So I just wanted to highlight a few of the horror titles that made it onto our list. And the first one is a YA one called The Honeys by Ryan LaSala, published by Scholastic Push. And it's one that has like very strong folk horror and midsummer vibes. It's set at a summer camp in the Catskills. So any of your readers who like that very atmospheric sort of haunting horror are going to love that one. We also had Hell Followed With Us, which is another fantastic YA title. This one's by debut author Andrew Joseph White and published by Peachtree Teen. This is a totally different vibe than The Honeys. This one like leads with body horror and there are monsters and a doomsday cult, but it also has a ton of queer rap, which is fantastic. And the protagonist is a trans boy. So I just, I love that about it. And in the middle grade realm, we have Lily and the Night Creatures by Nick Lake and illustrated by Emily Gravitt, which is published by Simon & Schuster. It was originally published in the UK under the title Locked Out Lily, but it is the same book. It has total like Coraline feel to it. So you know those kids. It's, you know, very dark and has sort of that adventure mystery flair to it where a girl's parents, like her family gets swapped out by like a creepy replacement family in her house. And she has to figure out how to get them out of the house so she can get her real family back. And it's sort of like the scariness and everything is offset nicely by this little group of talking animals that befriend her and sort of know a little bit more of what's going on. So it's just a really good one. Definitely will have some some chills in there, but not be overly scary for younger readers. And then I guess we had fantastic books for our top of the list. The one that like really stood out to me was actually the nonfiction pick, which I'm not even a huge nonfiction reader, but I loved this one. We picked Seen and Unseen by Elizabeth Partridge and illustrated by Lauren Tamaki. It was published by Chronicle Books and... Its subtitle is What Dorothea Lang, Toyo Miyatake, and Ansel Adams's Photographs Reveal About the Japanese-American Incarceration. It's geared towards middle schoolers, um, or, you know, YA can get in there too. 
but it takes a really unique approach in its topic and in how it's presented. It offers three perspectives of these very famous photographers with Miyatake on the inside of the camp and continuing with his art there through various means. So you get these very contrasting takes and different experiences brought to their observations of what was going on with the internment. And the book itself uses tons of their photos, but also has really evocative illustrations by Lauren Tamaki, who herself had grandparents in the internment camps. And Elizabeth Partridge was Dorothea Lange's goddaughter. Bah! What? So, anyway, that's my hot take on Editor's Choice 2022. And I hope you find readers for all of these amazing titles. Bye! And that's it for this very special episode of Shelf Care the Podcast. Thank you to my fellow booklist editors for sharing your standouts from the editor's choice list. You can find the list of titles discussed at booklistonline.com slash shelf hyphen care. And thank you all for coming on this journey through collection development and reader's advisory throughout the year. And I look forward to bringing you more hashtag content in 2023. Happy reading! Happy reading!